And most guys would come home, and first thing they would do, notorious in the military, is buy a giant truck. And they would spend their tour, we call it their tour money, on a truck. They'd, they'd drop 25K on a truck, cash, and that would be all they have to show for it, uh, their entire tour. What I buy? Investment property. Welcome to the On Fire Podcast, Episode 6, with your hosts, Matt and Kellen. On Fire is a weekly podcast where we discuss financial independence, life hacking, frugality, minimalism, and living within your means. Reviews. You're tired of me begging for stars and reviews, so why haven't you already done it? If you already did it, thank you so much, guys, but seriously, why haven't you shared our podcast on Facebook? In today's episode, we interviewed Jeff Weibo. Jeff introduces a slightly controversial viewpoint regarding financial independence. As somebody who is essentially financially independent in his mid-20s, living in one unit of his triplex and collecting rent from another rental property while working the occasional shift with the army, Jeff decided that he wanted more from life and soon decided to become a real estate agent along with some controlled lifestyle inflation. Yeah, Jeff's approach to conscious consumption is really unique. A lot of people in the FIRE community focus on cutting expenses to the bone and avoiding lifestyle inflation at all costs. Jeff, on the other hand, is actively using it to challenge himself and as a way to trick himself into growing. And the life hacks he shared with us in regards to the army were really thought-provoking. There are so many approaches to FIRE, and as cheesy as it sounds, I'm starting to really think that the only limitation is our imagination. It makes me think about my own journey and makes me question whether my current expenses will change as the years go on. And even if they stay just as low, there's a very good chance that I'll continue working on income producing projects well into retirement. So isn't there a good chance that I will retire later than I really need to? If we only need 70% of the passive income that we've built because we're still earning active income, then one should theoretically be able to either inflate their lifestyle safely or retire even sooner. This is all assuming I don't just spend 50 years golfing and binge watching Netflix. Being in the fire community, we're so used to challenging society's preconceived notions that we can often become very dogmatic in regards to frugality. Until recently, I was that way in regards to spending on clothing. I just didn't see the point. But one aspect of my life where I've recently and consciously allowed my spending to inflate, mainly due to Jeff's influence, is my wardrobe and what I spend on clothing. Now, I'm still likely on the very low range in regards to what I spend on clothing compared to the average consumer, but I do see value in having better fitting clothing. It just results in more confidence for me. Admittedly, I could likely accomplish the same thing without spending more money if I spent more time at the same thrift stores where I used to buy all my clothes. But at this point, I'd rather save the time than the money to look better. As long as I'm conscious about the increased level of consumption, I'm okay with that. But let's just jump into Jeff's interview. Welcome to the podcast, Jeff Weibo. Hey Jeff, guys. Jeff is a real estate agent and investor in London, Ontario. He completed two tours to Afghanistan and is still active in the Canadian military. Jeff earned over $100,000 in his first year as a real estate agent and $200,000 in his second year so far. And is a major advocate for having a social media presence, as is made clear by his various Instagram, Facebook, Snapchat, and recently YouTube accounts. So welcome to the show, Jeff. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me. Really excited to be here. Yeah, awesome. Welcome, Jeff. And so I think our first question is, we just like to kind of dive into people's backstories. So this is a segment we like to call Back to the Roots. So can you just walk us through your background and how you came to discover the idea of financial independence? Was it a book, a blog? Um, it, it would be many things, probably going back to elementary school and into high school where even just people around me and they'd make $200 and they'd go out and buy the newest PlayStation 2. Maybe I'm dating myself there, but, uh, uh, and I, I don't know. I just never had the, I never wanted to spend my $200 on the PlayStation 2 the moment it came out or the latest. Remember those like boom boxes people would like had to have and all this stuff. I, I just seem to have 
bank my money back then and I would referee soccer and get cash and I would just bank the cash all the time and uh, I, I always saved it. I'd, I'd like to count my money in my room as a kid, that kind of stuff. And uh, there were books that I started reading and I, I know we'll probably get into it later, but there was this one book back in the day called uh, uh, How, How to Live the James Bond Lifestyle. So if anybody knows me, I'm a big Bond fan, but uh, this wasn't about going to Russian embassy parties or anything like that, or like secret missions. It was a lot of just lifestyle about how to like take care of your money and, and how to behave in this. And it really kind of like stuck with me going on in my career. So I basically just always had like a money background and I surrounded myself with money people around me that were interested in the same kind of stuff as me. And now I'm sitting here with you guys and uh, I think I've even gone even further with money people around me. So basically, yeah, just saving my money and trying to spend it on important things. Like I don't really spend my money on anything frivolous really as much as uh, people might think. I don't, we maybe consumables like uh, food and, and uh, drink, but nothing, like I'm not going out to the mall every day and buying stuff, so. Well, even like, you know, you have a nice car and you have good clothes, but like a lot of that's important for your for your job, right? Like for mm. your, well, not job, I don't want to mean to use that <laughs> word with you. <laughs> but, but yeah, for your, for your entrepreneurship, uh, like you don't want to be like showing up to clients with like an old rusty car or like, you know, it's raggedy well, clothes. And I didn't have a car for about four years when I bought my first income property. I just walked everywhere. Uh, the only reason I got a car was because I became a realtor and they told me you need a car. So walk us through what your lifestyle was like when you were in your, living in your triplex and in a lot of senses the word financially independent at that stage. Do you have any tips for anyone who'd like to emulate something similar for themselves today? So basically, I was using the cash flow as income. So every dollar was very important of what I'd go spend because I wasn't making any other money elsewhere. Unless an opportunity came up, I wanted to be available. But I can remember walking down to the grocery store at 7.55 because at 8 o'clock, they put a sticker on the chickens and they were half price. And I'd go buy that chicken for 5 bucks instead of 10 bucks. So I was always looking for those deals back then when I wasn't producing more income as I am now. Uh, pretty much not, I'd fix problems at the house as, as they'd come up, but I never even painted my own units. I never did anything the way that we're all kind of renovating now. I just kind of, oh, it's working, which probably wasn't the greatest way to go about it, but it was the cheapest way to go about it at the time. So, and so I think something that's really interesting for a lot of our listeners is your approach to financial independence is a little bit different. So, you know, you and Kellen touched upon it, that you essentially were financially independent living in this triplex, your first income property. So you essentially reached financial independence via house hacking, but then you kind of decided to become a realtor and I'm using air quotes here, mm -hmm. upgrade your lifestyle. So tell us more about kind of your decision towards conscious consumption. I was getting a bit older and started dating my now wife and she kind of nudged and so the, she nudged me in a good way. I had to go get a job basically I had to go get a car. I bought another property, so I was kind of like, but I was still house hacking that one. Uh, and then it's it's taken me about four or five years to eventually this summer I'll be in an, uh, just a single family house. So, you know, I think you guys are going to get to it later, but like I came back from Afghanistan. I didn't know what I wanted in a job because every society was telling me I needed to go get a job. None of them were going to be as fun is traveling the world with guns, which I, I really kind of liked. <laughs> so uh, I struggled and I really liked, I thought I wanted an office job 
and then that's not really what I wanted. However, realtor, I, I, I always thought down on realtor. Actually, I always thought it was uh, oh, if you if you're not doing anything, just become a real estate agent. And I was dead wrong. There's a lot of money to be made in real estate agent, and that that all of a sudden kind of with my wife, my brother, this telling me you should become a real estate agent. I did it and did it fast and then just hit the ground running. So. Awesome. Yeah. And so one other thing I think we just kind of want to touch upon on this subject is the drive towards quality versus quantity and like a lot of your consumption, right? So, you know, you do have a fancy watch, but there's mm. a story behind that. You're right. like backing yourself into a corner. Right. You yeah. Kind of going oh, sure. That? So I was at a job when I was 21 to 23 and I thought that was going to be the job for the rest of my life. It was going to be a job that paid me a decent salary, maybe all the way up to like $90,000 a year. I thought that would be perfect because that with the people around me, that would have been maybe even above them. So that's where I thought was my max that I could do in life because I didn't go to school for anything because that's the way that you were taught. You had to go to school to make money. And I got this job, but then the job, uh, it was a contract and they stopped my contract and didn't hire me for the salaried portion. And one Thursday I was unemployed. And the next day I picked up a contract with the army and that was able to get me some income right away. Cause I just thought, Oh, I need money tomorrow. Like I better get a job again. And Matt's asking about my watch. Uh, so that contract had ended and I literally, I didn't know I was 23 and didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I was walking through a mall in, Toronto and I saw a watch that I always wanted but while I had the job I never decided I I could afford that and I like you said I backed myself in a corner I, I pulled the trigger on the watch which now kind of motivated me it gave me a, a bit of a thrill to own it because I always did want to own it and I eventually got other opportunities uh, and I took the close protection courses with the military and was off to the states and training with the mercenaries there and then off to Afghanistan and all of a sudden I'm protecting some of Canada's top diplomats and generals of our country and so I didn't care about losing that job all of a sudden the year before and it was all kind of like I backed myself into the corners purchasing this thing so that I had to go find a way to make more income out there and it was just like a life experience. And so another thing our listeners may not be familiar with is Jeff's about to become a father. So first of all, congrats on Thank that, Thank you, Jeff. guys. Thank you. So any thoughts on how are you going to try and pass along kind of your relationship with money to your future offspring? It's a good question. Um, I think just to start, I don't plan on overspending when they're one years old or and two years old on all the different clothing or something. Hopefully we can get a lot of handy downs. Hopefully we're only thing we're going to buy is maybe a stroller. And I, I think everything else should just be passed down. So hopefully we can save on that. I don't, they're one years old. They're not going to know what they're wearing. Right. So we don't yeah. need to have all these different things. Right. Yeah. So I, I just see other parents just going nuts on that sort of thing. And I've never wanted to spend my money on that. So I think like kids can be expensive, but it's another one of those things that doesn't have to be expensive. Exactly. Especially like, even if you want to give your kid a great lifestyle, it still doesn't have to be expensive. Right. It's more about experiences and learning and, and until they until they hit hockey, and then you got to spend all the money on hockey. <laughs> um, but I think just through actions, I think he he or she will grow up seeing what I've done, and hopefully, like taking road trips to the rental properties and pointing at them and telling them like this is how we potentially live the way we do now, not 
you know, really showing them back and, and showing them how much hard work I had to do in the army before, like now that I'm more successful now, there's a lot of sacrifice I had to do. So hopefully they will do similar. They will pick, maybe they will join the military. Maybe hopefully they're not just getting a free ride at this point. So. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. And so you kind of touched upon it earlier, the, the fact that you were kind of always frugal and focused on money to begin with. Is that something you learned from your parents or how did that kind of develop? Definitely my parents never overspent on anything. They would buy the non-name brand ketchups and mustards. And I would always be like, well, how come we don't have the normal one when I was really young, right? <laughs> yeah. So they, they were always cautious. But they, they would be more like definitely like the on-fire community because they had jobs. They only made so much. And this is where they were able to save. However, I think just from being in the military and meeting like-minded guys in there then my money sense took over because you can you get all walks of life in the military the guys that got paid on they can't wait till payday on friday and then they're broke by the next friday right yeah actually that kind of brings to mind stories you've told me about kind of you on um on camp or whatever the right term is when you're on base (laughs) Mm -hmm. and the way some people immediately run to tim hortons right oh yeah yeah so like even when i was deployed we were making a lot of money. Well, at the time, now it's actually pathetic that I went over for that money. But yeah. at the time, it was great. And coffee would be, we could make coffee in our, our uh, little office. But you could also go down to the equivalent of a Starbucks and spend $4 at the Green Bean or something like that. And I was always like, why, if I'm over here in order to make money, why would I reinvest it into their local coffee shops here on the base, which is it's all like those nicety things. The, the American bases will have KFCs and Burger Kings and all this stuff. And the soldiers, I don't know, they feel like they need that comfort food or that little taste of home. And I was always like, well, there's free food in the mess over here. Might as well just go eat that rather than spending 20 bucks on a pizza while you're deployed. I don't understand that. Cause you, you come home with eventually no money or, you know, mm-hmm. the goal was to make money coming over here, not to exactly come home and have to come back the ne- right, right away. And most guys would come home and first thing they would do notorious in the military is buy a giant truck and they would spend their tour. We call it their tour money on a truck. They, they drop 25 K on a truck cash and that would be all they have to show for it. Uh, their entire tour. What I buy investment property. So, uh, like, yeah, being married, having a child, and working together with your wife, do you guys have any challenges when it comes to balancing your budget together? Are there any uh, tips that you'd have for the audience on how you could do that better? She She's really good. She, uh, she doesn't have to – she doesn't buy anything, really. She'll buy consumables, and that's about it. I'll go get her the, a perfume. I brought her perfume on the way home from California, but she would never go out and buy that. So she's actually pretty good, as much as most people might not think that she is. And basically, it's about controlling. We don't have to keep up with the Joneses. We can just do what we want. So you don't have to overspend because somebody else is. And and we just say no to certain things. Everybody wants us to go to this thing and that thing. We'll just say no. Her idea is literally just staying in and and watching Netflix and, and whatever. We don't have to go to the movie theater and spend... 40 bucks. I think I barely go to the movies anymore unless the bond movies out. Then I go. <laughs> <laughs> and so were you guys on the same page from day one? Is that something that co-evolved and was that important to you when you were originally uh, a bachelor looking for a partner? Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's definitely evolved. 
she's seen what I was able to do with the rental properties, which it, and really to be honest, like it's against most of the norm. You're supposed to go to school. You're supposed to go get a job. You're supposed to go buy a big house. That's kind of how she just always saw it. She was really always looking at potentially her older sisters or friends and family. And I was the guy who'd go over to her parents' house and be like, hi, I'm unemployed. I have a property, <laughs> right? So where the other uh, sisters and, and her brother-in-laws had jobs and all that that were, uh, you know, they're doing stuff in the world and I wasn't. I was just, uh, I'm owning properties. And it just went against the norm of like the normal Canadian thing to do. Uh, eventually she's evolved and now even the family is starting to, uh, maybe I'm getting some more respect now, you know, that, yeah, that's it, awesome. cause, but, and that wasn't their fault. It's just something that they weren't, it wasn't in their ecosystem, right? It's so, outside of their comfort zone, yeah. right? So many people, when they're presented with an idea or an option that's out completely outside of the norm, completely outside of kind of their comfort zone, it, it almost feels like a judgment value at first mm-hmm. upon themselves, right? Why don't they already have a real estate portfolio? Why haven't they been saving? But the thing is, in the financial independence community, we're all just trying to pull each other up. There's really right. not a sense of judgment or, you know, a win versus lose. It's all win-win is what we're really focused on. I find it so interesting because Jeff Jeff also runs something called the Weibo Limo, which we could talk more about. But uh, a lot of times when we talk about the idea of multiple real estate investors, like say 20 people walking through a rental property together, a lot of other people hear, oh, that's your competition. Why are you going through a property with other people you're competing with? And that's just not the mentality at all with anybody in the financial independence community. It's it's all about working together and leveling each other up. Oh, it's fantastic. Even like my clients who are now our friends, all of our friends, like Justin and Laura, will be like going to you guys for advice and like, yeah, where was this when we were like younger? Right. Right? And know. likewise, we're at the point now. I'm asking all. I'm asking all sorts of people who have been doing it for less time. I'm asking all sorts of questions to them as well because they're doing things I've never done. And, I'm, and I think it's kind of vice versa for like Matt and I. I probably mm-hmm. ask him 90% of the questions, but every once in a while, oh, absolutely. I've got a little value to provide too. Like it, you learn quickly and ever, and it comes quickly where everyone's able to contribute with uh, to each other. So do you have a new goal or a milestone? Well, now, like now that you've kind of upgraded <laughs> your lifestyle, do you have a new financial independence number? Do you think this is going to be maybe a moving target? For I, I can remember like just owning the triplex and I always thought if I made $4,000 passively a month, I'd be happy. And then we even talk about this on the Cashflow to Go show that your our goals change all the time. Because then I remember hearing that Matt Pichet's goal was $10,000. If he got to $10,000 passively, he'd be done. And like he's not going to do any more real estate uh, agent stuff. Now for me, I am purchasing a new house, which... The only reason I could do it was because of all, all my other house hacking. That's a goal. I've also been challenged to purchase a new car, uh, a used new car from Graham Stephan. And these are just as simple as buying the watch just to push me to go find other business opportunities and, and potentially find, find more money out there, make more money. I do like, I love the concept of backing yourself into a corner. It's, it's like... If you have a deadline, a lot of times people are going to fill, like say something's due in a week, they're going to fill that whole week. But if they're if it's due tomorrow, suddenly they'll find a way. And yeah. it, I think it's kind of similar. If you put yourself in a position where you need to get this done, you will get it done. And it's just, it just shows what people are capable of when they're you know, when they're backed into a corner. Absolutely. Uh, any movie, there's a, there's a ticking bomb with the timeline, right? And then the action hero has to, you know, 
make sure the bomb doesn't go off right at the timeline. If it was just, oh, the city might blow up, it's a pretty <laughs> boring movie, right? But you, you get put back in the corner, you have to solve the problems, you, you somehow become a hero and you can do it, right? So. And so uh, talking more about kind of your military past, uh, me and Jeff have discussed this a little bit, but I don't think we've ever done it on camera. But tell us more about kind of the idea of lifestyle hacking via the army or military service. Any suggestions for those who may want to travel the world on the government's dime while gaining life experience and skills while still assessing their country? Sure. So obviously I joined the Canadian military about 16 years ago and didn't really know really what I was getting into. But now such an opportunity to travel if you guys want to ever join. You're young. You got to go through your basic kind of training. After that, like I'm not in the military police, but military police people can be put at embassies all over the world. So you could be like in Tunisia for a year or, or London, England or Paris, uh, and they will pay you to be there and live there. Also, just from my job, I got to go to England, stay all over the USA, then obviously Afghanistan, Kuwait, and uh, some European uh, countries. I think we were in Germany once. But basically, there's tons of opportunities. I've I've never would have even seen Canada if it wasn't for the military because I've been all the way up Whistler, climbing the glaciers, all the way to the east coast uh, to Halifax. So because really Ontario, southwestern Ontario boys, we don't really it's tough to get to another Absolutely. province. We're pretty stuck down here. So the military, it's a free way. They pay you food and, and they give you shelter over your head. Uh, you have to listen to their rules all the time, but. It's not bad. Yeah, it's a very interesting idea. And so just for those of our listeners that maybe aren't familiar, you joined the military through the reservists. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, so I'm a reserve. I'm still a reserve. I've always been a reserve. I've gone full time when I'm deployed, but still as a reservist. Basically, that's a part-time soldier that trains one week, uh, one weekend a month and one weekday every week, pretty much. And they pay me. So when I was about 16 and you'd get through a weekend, I think I would have like the $200 or whatever it would be in change. And that was huge at 16 years old, having 200 bucks every weekend while you're going to high school versus everybody that was going to McDonald's and working. They were working like eight hour shifts. And then and then after the taxes, they'd have like nothing pretty much. So. Mm-hmm. And you're learning all kinds of interesting skills too. And so anyways, the reason I want to bring up the reservist uh, aspect was just a lot of people think of the military as being like a life time obligation where what's interesting is you can kind of have this be more situational oriented absolutely like reservists you're supposed to have another life outside of the army so or the navy or air force um you're supposed to have a job it's perfect for teachers or police officers that kind of stuff uh and now real estate investors i can kind of pick and choose what I want to do with the military. If we're going on a really cool exercise where we're jumping out of helicopters, well, I'll pick that one versus uh, just more of a boring lecture weekend. So so it seems like you've always been willing to go against the grain in regards to the normal path. Do you have any suggestions for our listeners who may want to march to the beat of their own drummer, especially in the face of friends or family that may not agree with their decisions? Yeah, good good point. Like nobody really in my circle was joining the military, especially being a, a Byron boy. That just was unheard of, really. Um, I, I think it just gets back to like I, I did it in one of my YouTube videos. Like take the shot, right? Like don't always be 
10 years are going to go by and you're going to be like, oh, I wish I did that back then. I wish I traveled or I, I can't wait till I get out of school. Then I'm going to go travel or I'll, everybody always has that as like one of their things. And I've mm-hmm. been to 41 countries now and I'm 33, which is not bad for a Canadian when like a European can quickly bounce around like Europe. But for a Canadian, that's not, that's not easy. And they kind of getting in from the last question too. like there's even military ways. And I don't think I've ever told you guys, but um. We can just drive to one of the Air Force bases and sit standby and fly on a plane right to Europe for like for like no dollars. I'm pretty sure you just need a leave pass. So there's all these hacks in the military you can do as well. If you read all our rules, they'll uh, they'll pay for you to go. You just hop on a plane, you wake up in Germany, and then you gotta catch the plane home from Holland maybe. But and so, how do you get comfortable with the idea of ready shooting? Like, what what suggestion? For uh, it's kind of like. Again, maybe backing yourself into a corner, but I don't know. It could be a personality thing. Maybe I, I, you're never going to gain these goals if you don't take these shots. So you just got to go for it. I know we can quickly relate to real estate. Like it's hard to sign that dotted line and pull the trigger, right? But after a while, you just, you see, you do it. And and if you have a community of these like-minded people around you, that's a lot easier I didn't have that back then, and I don't think you guys necessarily did as well. I was lucky enough to kind of start with, like, a pretty decent support group, honestly. Like, we started up the London on Fire group, uh, and that was right around the time that I was just getting going. So I was lucky enough to start with a good support group. But, like, I'd be lying if I didn't see, if I didn't have some fear that I had that analysis paralysis where, you know, all I'm doing is analyzing properties or, like, looking at opportunities and not ever pulling the trigger Um, so yeah, the value of just like, you know, if you find yourself going in circles and like, you just like, maybe the reason you're not going ahead is just cause you're not, you're just not taking the shot. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, you've probably analyzed it enough. Maybe now's the time to just start. Yeah. And I think that's a great point for me to jump into and plug the London on fire community. Honestly, I'm so jealous that this didn't exist when I first started reading online blogs and books about early retirement and financial independence. Uh, for the longest time, I kind of felt like a lone wolf, just kind of running without a pack. And now all of a sudden, we have a giant pack here in London, mm-hmm. Ontario, which is just amazing. And I can honestly say for myself, I wouldn't be where I am right now if it wasn't for the people I've met and the group that we've had around us. The amount I've learned from people, the encouragement I've had from people, it's unbelievable. And if you don't have something like this in your city, either start your own or or go to a city nearby or just search harder because there's other people out there like you that want that want the same support group and that want to feel like they're not a lone wolf absolutely you guys don't know how lucky you are to have this right now i I maybe had like one friend i could call back then but nothing like you can bounce questions off 10 different people at a tuesday night yeah meeting it's amazing It, it really is. And so maybe switching gears here a little bit, we have a segment called Spreadsheet Junkie. So do you track your net worth? Do you track your expenses? Do you budget? Kind of how do you approach uh, money? I, I used to do it. And then it was do, which? do tracking like everything. And then I felt that was taking up too much of my time. And a lot of it is more of a gut feeling now. I kind of just kind of know when I'm overspending in certain areas. Uh, I don't know if that's going against the grain on most people, but I just felt that I was spending too much time really nitpicking over like one, two, five dollars when I, sh- I should have been using that time to go make 10, 15, 20 dollars rather than spending all that time worrying about the five dollars. And so I think this kind of circles back to our conscious 
conscious consumption question where it's really about figuring out what's your time worth and Mm -hmm. you're you're a lot bigger on outsourcing than maybe a lot of people in the fire community are used to right and a lot of you fire uh people in the community potentially they have a nine to five job so you guys kind of need to budget and save your the money because you're only going to make a certain amount of money annually whereas i can spend strategically in order to produce more money in business because I'm running a business. Most people in the fire community are, are just a, an employee I, from what I understand. So. Yeah, all over the place. A lot, mm-hmm. a lot of people are working their full-time day job and then working on a side hustle so that their evenings definitely get filled up. And if you start analyzing your time and what it's worth and figuring out what things maybe are worth outsourcing, if you can make more money in that time doing something else, Maybe it's worth outsourcing that task and working on something that's more profitable. Exactly. So yeah, if, if you are in the community, but you have a side hustle in the evening, but then something's pulling you away from doing that side hustle, you're going to have to really look at it. Like, should I be spending my more time on my side hustle or uh, saving money over at the grocery store or something like that or whatever? Like, yeah, are you going to wait in line for, for an hour to save $2 uh, on something? That's- there's there's now a click click and collect or something and you can order all your groceries online and then for three more dollars, they'll bring it out to your car. And so maybe people will think, well, I could have saved the $3 by going in, but by going in, maybe you're buying four more bags of chips or something and the, you know, you never know, right? Or right. See- Actually, that's a great point. So... So on that note, do you, on the note of like buying chips and that kind of thing, do, do you have any guilty pleasures that maybe you are okay with spending a little more on, even if it's not necessarily profitable for you? Uh, Food-wise, no. I think drink-wise, yeah, I'll, I'll buy certain alcoholic drinks for my house, but nothing too crazy. Like I don't buy a case of beer every weekend or something like that. And it doesn't have to be food-related okay. or drink. Yeah, um, just any, anything in your life that maybe you are okay with spending a little more money on, worth it to you occasionally I'll be buying certain clothing here and there. Uh, I, I don't, I have a collection of blue shirts pretty much. So, <laughs> um, my wife says I need some more color, but you know, a lot of everything I buy is dual purpose because like you were touching on earlier, I can use it for work. It's good. I'm a real estate agent. I got to look good in an open house. Right. So it seems to all lend hand in hand, like getting nice clothes and mm-hmm. kind of also relates to your, you know, your uh, James Bond, like, yeah. Like- James Bond's been a big part of my life. Uh, not just the owning the DVDs or anything like that. It's given me the opportunity to travel, network with people all around the world. I could couch surf at any people's house. When we went to London, England in 2015 for the Spectre premiere, I stayed right on the Thames with my buddy James there in his spare bedroom. So I like, I saved on the hotels the whole week, pretty much. So like just you know bought bought him uh dinner one night that's about it and and he just would rather me be there and hang out with him so yeah that's awesome i think it's really interesting how you've taken what a lot of people would consider to be a very expensive high cost of living lifestyle and found a way to really subsidize it through frugality as well as just kind of strategic focusing on where and how you're spending your money so recently jeff and myself went and visited graham stefan in Mm. l.a and we couch surfed at yeah. Grams. So a trip that easily could have cost us thousands and thousands of dollars really cost no, us a thousand. It, we didn't even really feel the cost of that trip, mm-hmm. really. And, I, you know, I'm easy, I'm good at couch surfing probably from the Army days. Like, we would have to sleep on anything, right? So, uh, so like, I don't care. Like, if it's a couch or if it's a floor, like, I think you 
this is embarrassing, but you found me on the floor the one day. I fell yeah. off the mattress, uh, <laughs> uh, on the blow-up mattress, but whatever. Like, I, I'm in the Army. I'll, I'll literally just need your backpack and anywhere to sleep, right? And you can sleep in train stations, airports, whatever, on planes. So, Yeah, awesome. And so we've touched upon it already, but you're a well-known James Bond fan. Yeah. But any tips for our audience on how to look like 007 without breaking the oh, bank? Oh, uh, yeah, absolutely. There's... I know on YouTube, the Bond Experience, uh, David Zeritsky out of Pennsylvania, he, he runs a couple of his episodes are the frugal Bond. And maybe Bond has, uh, you know, a certain suit, but he'll find the one at, that's at not Walmart or anything, but, you know, like, like more of a knockoff version or, or a tie that looks similar or the polo that looks similar. And, you, and you're not spending Tom Ford money on $1,700 for a sweater when you can buy the same sweater for $85 that looks pretty much the same and nobody's going to say, oh my God, your $1,700 sweater looks amazing at a party versus the, the $80 sweater, right? So Well, and another one that you kind of brought up to me that, uh, you know, dressing nicely isn't something that necessarily comes natural to me, but uh, Jeff's been rubbing off slowly. <laughs> but the idea of buying an off-the-rack uh, blazer or jacket mm -hmm. and going and getting tailored, Absolutely. that to me blew my mind. Oh, it, it just never crossed my okay, mind. Yeah, a, it's the easiest thing, like, they're obviously promoting to sell their suits and and get them all custom made and that. But if you just bought one off the rack and then brought it to your tailor for fifty bucks, you're gonna look like a million bucks for cheap, really. So like the quality of clothes might not be there, but the fit will look really good, right? And if you take care of it. And like, let's be honest, nobody really knows what brands you're wearing, really. Like Exactly. I and take it from me, like I buy some of the high brands and nobody's like, oh my goodness, that's amazing. So if you can, if you can skimp on it, go for it. Uh, nobody really knows what your jackets are designed, who, who designed it, right? Thanks for being on the show, Jeff. And before we wrap it up, we always like to get our guests to ask the audience a question. So do you have any questions for the audience? Okay, more of a actionable question. Just basically, like, how are you making an extra buck today? So are you just sitting at home on the couch right now uh, listening to this? Or are you multitasking and, and running your online business right now? So to answer Jeff's question, jump over to the London on Fire Facebook group. Um, we'd love to hear kind of what side hustles you guys are doing, how you're going to make a buck today. And otherwise, Jeff, uh, how can people find you on the internet? Instagram, Jeff Weibo, Snapchat, Jeff Weibo, YouTube, Jeff Weibo, Facebook, Jeff Weibo Real Estate. And so that's J-E-F-F-W-Y-B-O yeah. for anyone that's listening. And uh, otherwise, you can also catch us every Friday. Me and Jeff go live on the Cashflow to Go show at 530 Eastern Standard Time on my YouTube channel. And we just kind of answer your questions about real estate investing as well as being a realtor. Yeah. So thanks again for sharing your fascinating story, Jeff. Yeah, Thank thanks you. So much, thanks, Jeff. guys, for having me. It was awesome. Thank you. That was great. And Jeff brought up some really interesting points. I really like the idea of backing yourself into corner and almost forcing yourself to live up to your potential. Absolutely. It's a great way to keep challenging yourself. If you're not under stress, you'll never grow. And speaking of personal growth, be sure to check us out on London on Fire's Facebook page, meetup.com, and onfirepodcast.ca. And make sure to tune into our next On Fire podcast. Thanks for listening. This is Matt. And Kellen, signing off. And until the next episode, remember, being normal, buying stuff doesn't make you happy, and always remember what Jim Rohn said. If you're not willing to risk the usual, you'll have to settle for the ordinary. <laughs>